Chris Garlock, director of the DC Labor Film Fest, and of course, my sister in cinematic solidarity, Elise Bryant, executive director of the Labor Heritage Foundation. Our guests this week are Peter Pocock, former SCIU staffer. He's now a Buddhist monk. Also, Evan Papp from Empathy Media Lab. He's a colleague of mine at the Labor Radio Podcast Network. This is our first Labor Goes to the Movies uh, film club uh, gathering, meeting, if uh, you like. And if you want to join us for our next one, all you got to do is love movies. And if you're watching or listening, then uh, you're already in. Uh, And also be interested in talking about them from a work and worker's point of view. Uh, How do you do that? Email us labor goes to the movies at gmail.com we'll uh, put that link in the show notes on today's show we discuss my darling supermarket identifying features quo vadis aida and collective so uh, we'll have some um, trailers uh, in the show as well so you can check those out uh, and i hope you enjoy the conversation it uh, as usual goes in some Uh, interesting and unexpected direction. So grab your popcorn, sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Tanks are getting closer and closer by the hour. We are doing everything we can. Aircraft are on standby and ready to launch an attack on all positions held by the Republic of Serbska Army. What will happen if the planes don't come? They will come. They will come. is a safe area on the protection of the United Nations. Kao čovjek, kao general, garantujem sigurnost za svakog nevinog. Do you have your family here? Two sons. Do you think we are safe here? The Turks are inside the base fully armed. What? It's in full. They are killing people outside. Don't go on, I don't know where my family is. This video is mine. What will happen to us? 
eu gosto do que eu faço. Eu não vejo que eu faço uma coisa igual todos os dias. Acho que a vida das pessoas aqui não é muito interessante. Interessante pra quem? Por quê? Algo mais? Eu não me vejo uma pessoa normal, entendeu? Eu me vejo uma pessoa diferente. Porque eu vejo que as pessoas fazem tudo do mesmo jeito todos os dias e não questionam nada. Tá saindo de lá agora os dois. Olhou só o preço, tá descendo aí pra frente de loja novamente. Pegou alguma coisa lá do outro lado. Eu gosto de suspense, mas que tem investigação. Séries policial, difícil ter uma que eu não já assisti. Essa é a minha ideia, ir a fundo e realmente descobrir o que é a verdade, montar o quebra-cabeça. Ah, como você é bobo, Rodrigo. Ah, meu Deus. É. Eu vi, cara, na hora que ele falou com você. Algo mais? Deixa eu falar alguma coisa. Eternos insatisfeitos na condição humana. A gente já vê nasce no país errado. Você já teve esse, esse sentimento? Mistério é mistério. Não tem como provar. Está livre, mas de certa forma está preso a algo. Acho que é o ponto que E eu fui para cima. Eu falei: não, deixa eu entrar, vou quebrar a cara desse cara. <risos> Acho que você está assistindo Scooby-Doo, hein? Scooby-Doo-Bitoo! <risos> buscando a mi hijo. La última vez que lo vi fue hace dos meses. Mi hijo desapareció cuando tomó un camión que iba para la frontera. Indícame si reconoce algo. Yo se lo empaque. Le digo que a mi hijo lo asaltaron. No ande preguntando esas cosas en público. No sabe quién la puede escuchar. You have been found guilty of improper entry into the United States of America. You're now in removal procedures. ¿Cuánto hace que las cosas están así? Tanto con cuidado, carnal. Por aquí la cosa está bien caliente. Oiga, no le voy a hacer nada. espaldas te pareces a él? Todos nos parecemos de espaldas. Mi mamá quería que me fuera. Casi nunca le mandé nada. Las cosas no andan como para estar hablando con desconocidos. Levántese. Tenemos que irnos.
No voy a volver hasta encontrarlo. Aquí se está perdiendo mucha gente. Algunos en el cruce y otros cuando los regresan. Es que mi hijo puede estar muerto. Pero yo tengo que saber. Si usted sabe algo, dígame. La primera lucha que hay que hacer es que si se hace que se haga 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 que se Eu ce vedem aici, de când am venit, e... Dar tot ce e sub este putreț. În momentul în care presa ajunge să fie, să facă referențe autorităților, autoritățile se vor purta rău cu oameni, cetățeni. Întotdeauna se întâmplă asta pe tine din lume, s-a întâmplat și în cazul nostru. to labor goes to the movies. Uh, this is going to be a fun conversation. I think, uh, I think have we all seen My Darling Supermarket? Oh, yeah. Yes, good. All right. Um, and then what else? Uh, some of us uh, saw uh, the movie on uh, Wednesday night, um, Unidentifying uh, Features. Yes, that's something I'd like to focus on. Okay, and then, uh, oh, I watched um, Kovadis, uh, uh, Aida. Aida, thank you. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you watch that, Elise? I caught a bit of it before I passed out. <laughs> My problem was I, I watched it and then I had to do a deep dive to remind myself of all of the history there, which I thought that I knew and I knew some of it, but I, right. So yeah, so that, that wound up, I think it was like, I think I spent another hour and a half diving into that. So there, so there's that. Um, and then there's one other one that I watched. Anyway, that's enough to get started with. Let's start with, with my darling supermarket. Uh, and I specifically invited uh, Peter, who, uh, for those of you who don't know, worked for SEIU for many, many years. Um, and uh, we did a lot of we did a lot of events together. Peter, Peter was a Peter wore a lot of hats, but 
A lot of street events too. Street events, yeah. And then you wind up doing uh, education uh, for for members on, on how to. You never taught them to do a January 6th kind of a thing, though. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we were actually, as you will recall, kind of specifically trying to avoid that. And you did. <laughs> anyway, I asked Peter to join us specifically. Uh, I thought that he would really get a kick out of my darling supermarket uh, because uh, Peter has become a Buddhist monk. I, I thought you were going to wear your whole robe thing, Peter. No, I very robe. seldom show up in that whole robe <laughs> thing. It's... Uh... First of all, it's really cumbersome. Right. And second of all, it's uh, dressing up like something that you that is only a part of you. Right. Is not a good idea. But I thought he would bring a, a good Buddhist perspective. And uh, once you saw the movie, you saw what I was talking about, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's one specific reference to it, but the, that guy Santo, the the guy that runs the forklift. He doesn't know it, but he's a Buddhist. <laughs> All right. We, we talk about that in, in Buddhist circles, actually, that there are a lot of folks in the world who don't know it, but are basically um, living their lives along Buddhist lines, along Buddhist principles, which is not a very difficult set of principles. It's basically do good stuff, don't do bad stuff, and pay attention. These seem like good, uh, good, good guidelines. So, I mean, I I was really surprised at how much I loved that movie. I I just it made me, given the fact that actually nothing happens, in the, right? I mean, I mean, it was another reason I thought of you, Peter, because it's a movie in which nothing. Well, I mean, you know, some bread gets made and some shelves get stocked. It's, it is the quotidian <laughs> existence. That's the thing. It's day by day by day by day, uh, by moment by moment by moment by moment, which is what we're all living. Especially these days. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to yeah. Google that word and look it up because I don't think I know what quotidian means. It's just daily, just daily, basically. Uh -huh. Sure, that's what um, say. And and it's a it's a lovely, too long word. To, to sort of capture the, uh, the dailiness of our lives. Huh. The fact that most of the things that we do are the same things that we did yesterday and the day before and the day before. There's a great line from Ivan, the, the I'll call him odd, Baker, um, about going to work is like getting up, is like going out your bedroom door every morning. You just get up and you do it. No, let's, go on. No, I want. I want to. Uh, let, let me get. Let me get just sort of your sort of top of mind thoughts about, and then I want to go around and get responses from everybody, and then we can just sort of open it up. So, what's what's your basic response to the to the film, Peter? That you've got a bunch of folks who are really pretty deeply alienated by the work that they're doing, to go to a Marxist interpretation and have come up with a whole bunch of really interesting ideas about how the world really works um, that really seem to form the, the, the it, it really seems to help them just get through the very dailiness of their lives and the very boringness and the very, um, the fact that, I, I, 
<clears throat> the way that the, the filmmaker gives us repeatedly these overheads. Here's what the ceiling is like. Oh my God, this is the ceiling in this place. This is what they're surrounded by. They're surrounded by all of this colorful stuff. And then behind the scenes, we've got the storage areas and the busted concrete, and everything else. It's, it's, they're living in a movie set or working in a movie set, which is about selling things. Selling things mainly because they're very colorful and arrayed in great numbers and things. And they're trying to figure out ways, even if they don't understand that that's what they're doing, trying to figure out ways to make sense of it all. Because it's not, there's no sense in that, in that space other than sell, 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 move, 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 fast, 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 fast. So that's my take. Loved it. Evan? I'm, I'm always interested in going, going into the background of the people who produced the film and the director is a female and mm -hmm. she got the idea late at night when she was going to a supermarket and she overheard a conversation with people just stocking a cereal shelf and they're talking about love and that kind of gave her the inspiration about these two people who are doing this monotonous task but having this very deeply profound interaction on this level of, about the universal and the eternal and mm -hmm. I yeah, it, it, it's the type of movie that comes across as very surface, but then it has all of the just human existential questions going going on within it and the interplay between the, the characters. So. Mm -hmm. Elise? I had probably the, the opposite reaction. Um, I, I felt like uh, we, we take it for granted that these are mundane, boring jobs because it's repetitive and doesn't, but that's the majority of work for the majority of people in the world. Like there aren't people get, who get to sit at home in their, with their Black Lives Matter t-shirt in the background and their cup of herbal tea talking to a couple of brothers on a fucking computer, excuse me. And so here are these people who are doing these things that we take for granted that are there in the background all the time, but inside they have a rich inner life, mm -hmm. which of course everybody does. Mm -hmm. Everybody does. It doesn't matter what kind of work you do. I mean, I was a nursing home worker, you know, dumping bedpans and, you know, taking people to the bathroom and making sure they were putting their meals in front of them and brushing their hair in the morning. And, and for the people who were getting that service, it was the world to them, right? Mm -hmm. And so even though I was doing it every day, I am the band band every day. And so, and I thought that way, I, I think that way about my mother who cleaned the homes of the wealthy, my father who worked in the nastiest, dirtiest jobs in the Ford Rouge plant, that you know, you do all that, but when you come home and you have a life and you have mm -hmm. a rich inner life and, mm -hmm. and some people's creative life. And I think she, I thought what she did was she took this, you know, what is really mundane and turned it into this colorful land of visual stimulus. That was like, wow, that's not a super dark <laughs> But I'm like, I'm there because I'm like, oh, you know, I know this person. I know this person who like, you know, talks like this. And, and I was reminded of my theater classes when I was teaching at the National Labor College and we would have a discussion after a film and inevitably the guy who was like the, 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 the class clown would say something really profound and everybody would go, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> and then they would turn to me and they would say, why are we talking like this? 
you did this. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just, I just taught you like the basics of theater. And then we went to see a show. And now because you have a context, you could talk about it. That mm-hmm. you understand it. And even though Doug didn't finish high school and is working some mundane job, Doug has a brain. And that brain is capable of going into places that he doesn't get to express in his daily work or she doesn't get to express in her daily work, but exists there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I so react to the same way, at least, as, as I think all, well, actually, everybody except Evan, because uh, Evan's not been to all the coffee shops and we haven't had that. We have, Evan and I met, you know, this way for the last year. So it's been, that is, uh, but you guys have been to all the places and you know that that I always talk to the folks behind the counter, especially places like uh, Teaism, where I know Sarah and, mm-hmm. and the kids and, you know. Our, I wonderful, to- our wonderful Thursday relationship with the folks at, at Filter. That's right. That's right. And, and the engineers at the station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always talk to the checkout clerks at the at the supermarket. You know, mostly because I always thought, God, I, you know, I, 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 there's a lot of jobs you think, oh, that would be an interesting job. I thought, you know, to me, you know, just to stand there in the one place. And a little side note, did you notice that the checkout clerk there did something I've never seen anybody in this country do? He was sitting down. I have, yeah. I have never seen an American checkout clerk sitting down. I need to talk to my friends at Local 400 to find out what the deal is. There must be something going on there. But it was, it was a, when Lisa came, you know, Lisa stops in when I'm watching these things. And I was like, check this out. What's weird? She's like, something's weird. I don't know where it is. He's sitting down. Yeah. He's also the guy who very specifically says, I like this job. But I, I get lots of variety in, in the conversations that I have and things like that. He's also the one that had a nervous breakdown. Right. I wanted to talk about that. Because, I mean, in this con- in the context of what we're talking about, that I did not see that coming. He seemed like the guy that had it all kind mm-hmm. of figured out. And then you find out he's the one who had a complete nervous breakdown, weeping. And I, I, that, that, I mean, which is honestly what I always thought, like, I, you know, 10 yeah. minutes in that job and that would have been me. You yeah. Know? Whereas, whereas Ivan the Baker, he's got it. He's got it figured out. <laughs> that costume. <laughs> By the way, when they remake this in America, you know that he and his you know, friend there are going to have a romance, right? I mean, they're going to screw the whole thing up. I mean, there's going to yeah. be it's it's going to be a whole other oh, yeah. uh, thing. Sure. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean that. Yes, the the relationships in the movie really are they're very real. The, the, that, that banter behind the deli counter that goes on, oh my God, they, they, they capture her so beautifully. No, um, whatever, so. whatever he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, her, that's her way of, of, of just sort of getting, right, at least getting her yeah. sort of peace, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see at the very beginning of the film, they, they, they start off with, well, first they start off with basically in the beginning was the word. And somebody talking about words make things happen. But then the, the first words that you, that, that you sort of see in the management office are the things about, um, oh God, what was it? It's about what are your, do you, do you think you'd like to work here? What are your goals? What are your dreams? These are management questions that are being that are just being put up there before anything else. These are what the managers are are asking of them, and then we never see that again. 
but we've we've been we've been told basically that this is something that management is concerned about, which I have a little difficulty believing. But then we are shown what people's goals and dreams and and how they like it actually are in their in their daily activities. I I loved that little subtle bit of uh, we're going to show you what management says, what they ask. And now we're going to show you what actually goes on without any regard to management anymore. Yeah, I don't think we ever see them again, do we? No, we don't. We don't. And Elise, I was thinking about something you said because one of the things that occurred to me was that it kind of turns like in a in a in a regular movie, uh, you know, especially in a supermarket, right? You would have some some something to do with the customers. I mean, your customers are a big part of what's going on there. And other their background at, at best, they're, they're really bit players. I'm thinking particularly the repeated scenes, you know, at the, um, in the bakery where, you know, the, the character will be holding forth and then somebody's there and he's like, you know, and he'll deal with them and they'll come back and he'll pick right up. But you never, exactly. see, the you never see the customer. There's no interaction, you know, uh, and, and, and he, pays them very little mind. And it sort of, uh, to me was, I think going to your point, which is that she was, she was not interested in, in them. She, she was yeah. interested in, in the workers. Yeah. Well, it makes me want to also go back to what Evan said. And I, I want to re read more about the director because I of course didn't read anything about her. Uh, I just, I was just taking the film in. And, and, oh, and how she chose, I mean, this is the thing about film, right? It's subjective. You get to choose the, the focus. You get to choose which way it's going to go. And, and, and why she chose that, you know, what was, what, what's her background? Where did, where did she come from? What's, you know, what's going on here? So I'm going to have to go back and do some more research. I think Evan, 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 uh, Evan's our researcher. Yeah, I mean. I love that. Alleged, like supposedly she, uh, her previous film was on a shoemaking ballerina shoemaking factory wow. that, with a bunch of men. And, and then she was at the supermarket, kind of had the idea having this one set theater and she started doing a lot of research and started interviewing and all the people in the film had no background being on camera before. So over a course of selecting people, she was interviewing a ton of people at this one supermarket she was spending a lot of time with. And from that she selected, you know, the, the six, six ish main characters. And, uh, and I, I think something that she wrote too, she wanted to start off with the set of a very dehumanized, depersonalized supermarket. And by the end, it's, it's this very personal interaction yeah. of just human existence. Well, yeah, the, uh... you know, it made me think of working too, uh, the film Working. And uh -huh. who do you choose as a subject? Who do you choose to be the, you know, luck of the draw? I mean, or, or what is her, her her skill that she's able to say, oh yeah, that's the one. Okay, let me get, let me get that one. And how how much filming did you do before that? Yeah. But, who, who would who would be best? But but just, I just whatever. I mean there is obviously there there is that. But don't you get the sense that I, I, one of you said this? I mean I mean we all have these stories. Everybody has these stories, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. I mean we I think every one of us here are people who talk to folks. And sometimes it's a little hard to pull those stories out. And at least as a teacher, you know, and, and Peter, I know you've worked with thousands of members and I'm sure there's always somebody sitting in that class who's like, I ain't gonna talk. 
right? Yeah, yeah. So and then they do, and then they do. It's I mean, that's your job. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I also, I loved the sequence where she's got Santo, the the forklift guy, talking about the fact. Love There's no guy. interest here. Why, who would who would care about what's going on in a supermarket? Maybe my wife. Maybe my son. And that's. And then he goes on to some of these wonderful, wonderful riffs about life, the universe, and everything. And uh, and it was just it was just so beautifully played. He was uh, he was quite the serious character. Putting him at the beginning, the, like I said, yeah. Putting him at the beginning was was I thought brilliant because he really I, I think it at you know I was thinking myself when I read about this I was like really a movie about people in a home I mean I could see that as a ten minute short I mean how are you going to do an hour and a half movie it'd be about you know and there's no drama nobody falls in love nobody gets killed no there's no robbery you know? it's, it's that, that surprised me that surprised me. Well, it didn't surprise me. That's when Chris, when you suggested that I watch this movie so that I could so that I could talk with you all about it, um, I thought, inside a supermarket, that's just that's just great. I mean, I worked in retail a few times in my life. I worked at a paint store where you're stocking gallons and five five gallons of paint in the back, and it's all it's that same kind of a thing where. You got just these crappy old shelves in the back and out front you've got this glorious colorful stuff and they hated the fact that i was terrible with customers because people would come in and want to talk about what color their dining room ought to be lady i don't know what color your dining room ought to be <laughs> that was not the approach i was supposed to be taking <laughs> marigold definitely it, marigold that is that's the color but i was i was fine in the back <laughs> Well, you know, in the warehouse, when I worked at the University Cellar Bookstore, which was the student bookstore at the University of Michigan, and we had a warehouse that was out away from the bookstore because the bookstore wasn't big enough to hold the stock. And, and the warehouse was this place that was, you know, like, it was like, you know, being, being sent to the outer limits or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let me guess, that's where they sent you, isn't there? But the forklift drivers were like, like the, the, the top of the line in some way. And this one guy came in and he changed the whole atmosphere of the warehouse. And they started doing this thing where they would do ballets on the forklifts. Oh, and, get out. And he, yes. <laughs> on the, on the, on the opening this story day, doesn't end well, I don't think. <laughs> student book rush and student book rush. We would, we would rent the ballroom of the, of the student union and they would bring in the books and, and we had to build the shelves and all this kind of stuff. And one year they came in doing the hustle. I think the hustle just came out. <laughs> And and with the forklifts and everybody and bringing in the boxes, do the hustle, do 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 the hustle, do do do. And it was just, I love it. It. it was like a Broadway musical, right? Only it's not Broadway. It's not a musical. It's just regular human beings, you know, at this point, you know, twenty-something-year-olds, you know, who were like saying, "Nah, we can do something more with this." And that's there in everybody. That that potential, that creativity. I think I see your your next uh, your next labor opera. <laughs> I was thinking. I, like I would. It. I would pay yeah, to see. I would pay to see people doing forklifts, <laughs> doing the hustle. Driver, you know, and it's like, oh gosh, yeah. And you had you had the cabbie, right? You have the cabbie that you you know you're driving in New York or wherever I'm in New York, and the cabbie starts talking. You go, whoa, <laughs> where did that come from? Thank you very much.
All right, we've heard that we've heard about the, the, some backstories on jobs from Peter and Elise. You got you got to give it up, Evan. What's the? Well, my first job was a retail job at a small store in Muskegon, Michigan, Western Michigan, called Coach's Closet, and I was 15, and uh, it was essentially a soccer uh, accessory clothing store, and. Uh, like Elise said, uh, you have it, or, or maybe Peter said it, you have it very nicely uh, manicured in the front house and in the back house, it's total craziness. But some other jobs I've had that were much more dynamic with people are all the restaurant jobs I've worked. And just the amount of funny things that happen in the back of the house. And as you're dealing with sometimes very difficult situations, difficult customers, but you, you just build this incredible uh, inter interplay and, and dialogue with your, your fellow workers. And um, even in something as boring as a restaurant that, you know, everyone goes to and seems, seems like there's nothing going on, but the, the people working in the restaurant oftentimes form a very dynamic, cohesive unit. And uh, then there's also the, the us against them mentality of the, uh, management versus uh, the servers. And then there's, you know, the servers front house who get treated usually better than the back house, unless you're actual chef. And uh, yeah, you, you learn a lot from those experiences. So people who haven't had those experiences, you know, I, I sometimes look at them when they're talking about life experiences. I'm like, well, you have this whole missing part of you that most people in the world have experienced. So. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. I worked in, I worked in, in uh, restaurants too and very quickly discovered I actually wanted to work in the front house because that's where the money was. But I got, uh, and the thing is, once I was in the back doing the cooking, partly I think I fell, I fell into, you know, there was this definitely front of house, back of house kind of, you know, thing. Plus you could do shit in the back of the house you could never do in the front of the house. I mean, including, oh, yeah. including swearing, okay, which kind of, <laughs> Which kind of for me was a big deal. I was like, you can't fucking swear with the customers, okay? I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe these days in certain hip restaurants, you you could get away with swearing at customers. I don't know, but <laughs> that was. Uh, but <clears throat> and that that's I think. I think one of the things for me that the the film, especially compared to the other films, and Evan wants to get, talk about Wednesday's film. Um, this film, for all of its you know, seemingly about nothing and, and, you know, it doesn't, you know, any of the things that you would expect and no romance blossoms, you know, there's no action. I, I wound up feeling incredibly, first of all, just happiest. It's literally was the reason I thought yeah. of Peter was that I knew that Peter as a Buddhist would, even though there was just this little reference to Buddhism, the whole film felt like mm -hmm. a Buddhist film in terms of like pay attention you know, and, and, and if, it, if nothing else, if it gets people to look, and I think maybe people are already doing that in a pandemic because we're all spending, you know, A, more time in the supermarkets and, and B, appreciating that somebody is there stocking them and checking us out. And, and also, interestingly, you know, the fact that they had to put up these barriers, you know, for the, for the checkout folks. And I think... Mm -hmm. This is just me. This is, as Lise likes to say, this is just the story that I'm telling. But I think that before, I don't think people really paid attention to the checkout people, right? They were just, you know, get your stuff, get out. I think that it cut, in my mind anyway, once you put these barriers up, I think it makes you pay more attention to the folks who are behind the barriers. Maybe that's just me. 
Yeah, I wouldn't be able to stay simply because I've always paid attention to the, to the checkout people. I go to the checkout line even if there's a long line at the checkout and the, and the self-checkout is wide open because you get a chance to actually interact with a human being. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the <clears throat> introversion versus the extroversion. Yeah. The extroversions want to have that connection with the other people because of the energy. But I also was thinking uh, about the, the cashier in terms of, you know, you can't judge a book by the cover. And ah. when we, what we see is only a, the tip of the iceberg of what the whole human being is. Mm -hmm. So here's this guy cheery and, you know, engaged and uh, in that way that, you know, some cashiers, I could think of one that was in, our, in, our, in the bookstore who was always engaged with folks. Uh, but underneath is, is a whole mass of other things going on. Yeah. Uh, and you can't see that by just looking at somebody. There was another vignette in there that, that had a very similar effect for me. The young woman who was stocking shelves. And then she goes back into the, uh, into the break room and she's looking at her phone. And there's the, the pictures of her pregnant and the pictures of the baby and the pictures of her when she was a teenage ballerina. And it was like, it, it was just, that can't have taken more than about a minute and a half in the whole movie. And it encapsulated that, exactly what we're talking about, the, the rich life that everybody brings in and that we, we miss to our own, um, really, I mean, it's, it's something that if we were able to engage each of those people the way that that movie maker has, how much richer would our own lives be? Yeah, and that's the power of film. Yeah, it really is. That editing piece uh, is, is the <laughs> magic that I yeah. didn't really, I wasn't conscious of until I started talking to Chris. <laughs> yeah. But just that, that juxtaposition of those photos, it says a whole bunch that you can't do in a theater piece. Yeah, that's right. right? You just can't go that far back and then come back to the present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, and just a what? I don't know, how long? Was it, was it a minute? It, it may not have even been a minute, all told. It was just such a beautiful little piece of filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. Really. We, we got to get into the interactive theater, though. You know, we we can start doing some projections and things like that <laughs> yeah. on the stage. That's and true. Yes. Yes. True. Right. I thought that when I saw um, uh, Thurgood, the play uh, with Lawrence Fishburne, mm -hmm. and they just had a legal, you know, law school legal table, long legal table and two chairs and that's the, that was a set and everything else was projected on the screen and as a theater person I was like oh well that's you know that's kind of simple set you can use your imagination but those photographs changed it you know mm -hmm. <laughs> they made it a whole different experience plus Larry Fishburne was way more talented than I had given him credit for mm -hmm. um, I liked him on film but I, I wouldn't have said oh yeah genius but he was powerful as a young middle-aged and old Thurgood Marshall mm -hmm. Well, that's the wow. Sorry, I digress. No, 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 it's all good. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I just want to mention, and I want to get to uh, the, the film from Mexico, but um, I also love it. I think, uh, I think Peter made a reference to it. Um, I really liked, you know, when they'd have the shots of the butterfly or the spider or the lights or, or one of my favorite, I haven't made a note about it. I loved it so much. There is a shot of a dirty water in a bucket. Mm -hmm. That is one of the most beautiful things I have seen this year. I'm not kidding. I mean, 
I mean, and you know what it is. It's not like they they, they start in close so you don't know what it is and then they pull out. You know going in because you see the, the woman mopping and then it goes to the bucket. And, and I remember watching that thinking, I mean, I didn't, hadn't read anything about the filmmaker, but I knew that this person was a genius because to, she had to see that. Yeah. Nobody came and told her about that. You know, that yeah. I, I don't, I mean, that you have to, or maybe she worked, you know, it's something that you would have seen as a worker, maybe, I don't know. But to see that and to realize that that, to me, it worked on so many levels. I mean, it was just a beautiful image surprisingly you know it's not even clean water it's dirty it's dirty floor mopping and and then again peter i thought of you because as a buddhist i mean you guys like to scrub floors on your hands and knees with rags you don't you don't want no swiffer man it's not necessarily liking it but that's what we do because that's that's how you actually get the floor clean it's not just about getting it's not just about getting the floor clean though it's about a process that's right and it's i mean one of the classic uh things that, that uh, we always tell new folks is when there's a, an, an intensive retreat, the senior student at the retreat is basically leading the whole thing and, and in a position which could be considered to be very high up. The senior student is the person who cleans the toilets every day. <laughs> Just to kind of keep uh, things in perspective. It keeps everything in perspective and it's also a statement for everybody. There's no no nothing special about any of this. I'm thinking some. I'm, I'm thinking of some places we could apply that to good use. I mean, what if we made congressmen clean the toilets? Yeah, I mean, it is a uh, Good Friday in the Christian calendar, and Jesus did wash the feet of his, you know, yeah. disciples and prisoners and things like that. So maybe get congressmen to wash some homeless people's feet or something like that. Very interesting. I love it. Good oh, luck with that. Revolutionary Evan, I see <laughs> going now. I mean, if they want to call themselves Christian, you know, we can, like, oh. I was there with you. I went right there. I went right yeah, there. exactly. I went right there. Wait, I thought you liked Jesus. No? <laughs> Just one final little note that I loved also was they. She did a shot. Uh, I think it was a tracking shot across a bunch of signs that had the prices on them. And then she cuts to the backstage place where the guy is making the signs. Oh my God. Sweet. Oh, freehand. Yeah. Freehand. It was gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. And then later in the film, she gives us him doing some actual art back there. Yes. It's the very same desk. And he's doing his own art. And uh, it was just another one of those little vignettes that just gives you the richness of each life that is that is in that store yeah i loved it good i I'm, i could go on and on and on but that's not what we're here for so uh it is it is so what i want to do is i want to bring in a film that i know evan and i saw um and peter and elise may not have seen it yet and some of our viewers may not have seen it yet so evan we can't give away the crazy twist the crazy twist which i and I'm a guy who sees twists coming a mile away, and I did not see it. So we can't give away the twist, Evan, but can you just sort of give a quick sort of what set up the movie? And then I just want to hear your reaction. And I think there are things that you guys will be able to play off of as well. Yeah, and I also added a link in the chat as well. Um, it's essentially um, a movie of a mother trying to find her son. and. The son is leaving his mother to go to the United States from Mexico. 
and time passes and one of the son's friends turns up dead and um, she goes looking for him. And so you see the entire immigration North story as she goes to the border. And, and then there's another uh, story happening at the same time of someone who's just been deported from the United States going back to Mexico and it's not her son. And so there's these two parallel tracks uh, happening at the same time. And uh, it's, it's, it has some of that magical surrealism that, um, you know, like a Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, style that, that, but it's not, it's very subtle. And um, it also has uh, just some very deep uh, emotional aspects of good versus evil. And you have very real evil that we read about in the newspapers that you can actually kind of see. And there's a lot of fear and suspense, even though there's not big chase scenes or anything like that. Yet at the same time, there's a lot of people helping the mother along the way, trying to find uh, her son, or at least have closure if her son is dead. That's that's just a general overview. I don't know, Chris, if you want to add anything. No, no. I mean, it. it um, that, uh, unlike it was interesting because I saw I'd seen the supermarket film, which I just felt like I just had a, a, a Buddhist session with Peter. Was feeling very relaxed, and then I watched this movie, and and my, every muscle in my body, and, and it's a similar as as Evan says, most of the movie again not not much happens. It's not one of these shootout. I mean, you know, but, but the, the, I mean, there are gangs everywhere. There's tension that you, you just, you, what I really liked about this film was, especially in this particular moment that we're in right now, where the right is, you know, ginning up the, the anti-immigrant, you know, rhetoric, you know, about people coming across the borders. And this film, I think, does a really good job of putting you in. You know, if, you, if you want to understand why are these people leaving their countries? Why are they? Leaving? I mean, her son leaves. It's a pastoral scene. That the, the place where they live is gorgeous. He's got a job. He's got his family. He's got everything there. Um, and if you want to, you know, but there is no life there. You know, it, there's, there's violence and there's poverty. And this is what's missing from this so-called debate about immigration, right? Is that, you know, why are you know, all of these people leaving their homes? It's, it's not because they want a Mercedes Benz in a, you know, a three-car garage. Um, that, so that, that was, uh, but it, it is an incredibly, the actress, by the way, you probably did some research on her. I don't know who she is. I've never seen her before. Uh, she is absolutely, she does so much with so little, right, Evan? Yeah. And- I mean, when you say there's no life there, I, I would add there's no future. Uh, That's what I'm sorry. Yeah. And the, what's the future in, in the place where there, the economy is just, you know, completely being wiped out? And beautiful cinematography, amazing acting. Also, a film that was uh, directed by a woman and uh, was written by the director and another woman. Uh, and it also has this, I don't know if you picked up on it, but the son's name's Jesus and the mother's name's uh, Madalena or Magdalena. Magdalena. Uh, so yeah. it, it has that kind of surreal quality going on as well. Um, when, you're, when you're looking for something of, of just, you know, beautiful filmmaking, but emotionally powerful, 
and maybe if you have anyone who is uh, hard nosed about immigration, uh, try to drag them to this film to watch it. Yeah, and did you? I mean, just did you sort of react to some of the the other sort of things that it raised for you, Evan? Because I think you you were one of the folks who was there, had some really good comments uh, in the chat. I think, frankly, the chat normally is kind of blowing up with comments and so forth. I think everybody was just sort of stunned. I mean, there there is this major plot twist, but it's also just a film that it's it's stunning in a lot of ways. I guess I would say. Yeah, and as a man, obviously, I'll never have that connection a mother has with their child. But it, it's just so emotional the entire time of, you know, I, I obviously um, have spoken to my mom about, you know, her view of children and everything else. And just that bond and that uh, idea of like protection of the mother and the child. And you're, you're going through that entire process as she's trying to find her son. And it's, it's extremely emotional. And uh yeah, and, it, and it's just this unspeakable violence and, and the violence of the, the coyotes and the cartels and they're battling in this space, but it's, it's evil, you know, it's a lot of evil, but it, you know, it's obviously surrounded by this complexity of this evil Babylonian system that, that is drawing these people around and pushing these people around. And to be honest, I, I sometimes think about the violence in Mexico and the deconstruction of the state we may see that in our lifetime in the United States, where there's roads we can't travel with without going through some militia checkpoint. And I mean, we've already seen it in Nevada and elsewhere. And I, I don't know, it's just a very powerful, everyone should see it. And uh, it's, it's beautiful filmmaking. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, what else uh, this, these people produce, uh, the director and the writer. Now, at least since you also watched um, Quovadis uh, Aida, um, we should talk a little bit about that. And I also watched uh, Collective, um, which is, I'll just say this about that, get it out of the way. It, it, I had to actually watch it in two pieces. Um, it, I think, personally, I think it's too long. It's a great film. It's, I think it's one of the ones that's Oscar nominated. I just think it's too long. Um, especially for American audiences. Uh, and I'm a huge film person, uh, but I just, it, it felt, um, and it's an important film and, and I actually would really love to have some of my newspaper guild. Uh, it's, it's a really a film for our folks, at least as a news, because it's really about the power of the media and the power of the press. But I mean, it's in a foreign language and it's really, really long. And it's mostly footage of people in meetings or press conferences. So it's not, you know, it's one of these ones, actually, I'd love to see it remade as a drama because it's dramatic as shit. You know, you got bad guys, you got good guys. I mean, it's actually, it's a great story. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I appreciate and, and, and Evan, it, it'd be, it'd be, I think you'd enjoy it too as a, as a, as a media person, but I just think well, it's a... I saw the trailer and it's about the, the nightclub fire in uh, Germany, right? Actually, not, not Germany, it's um, Romania. Romania. It's, it's, actually, uh, it's actually about what, and I did not know this, I knew about the fire, but it turns out that more people died because the, uh, there's this whole corruption going on around diluting um, disinfectant 
And so more people died because who got burned who went to the hospital. And there's great footage of people with maggots on them who you know. Um, but so I, I knew about the fire. The fire turns out to be, you know, sort of just the the little the outside of the onion, if you will. There's this whole and then there's this whole corruption thing, and it's and there's this bad guy who did the bad stuff with the disinfectant, but then there's all this government officials who who won't I mean, it's it's just layer after layer after layer. And so it's an impressive piece of filmmaking because it really makes an attempt to peel back all these layers. But to me, it just kind of limits the audience of what I what I agree is a very important story. But I mean, I don't know, at least if you have a different take or another thought on that. No, no, what, 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 what this discussion has triggered for me, it's like, I want to do an investigation of women directors. And <laughs> no, no, seriously, because, yeah. you know, the, uh, um, the Kovadis Aida and uh, the, the one we were just talking about set in Mexico, I just, the titles went out of my head. Uh, as, as, as Evan was talking, I was thinking, what happens when a woman goes behind the camera? What happens when it's different? And and I and I remember when Catherine Bigelow uh -huh. got an Oscar. She's the first woman to win an Oscar. Am I? I I'm not sure if I remember. It sounds right. But, but I thought the Hurt Locker. You got an Oscar <laughs> for the Hurt Locker. I'm mean, not gonna think of other films by other women that were so much more to the heart, which is what we're talking about, and to and, and these films, which are also the head. You know, our heads engaged, but also the heart. I mean, this the mother, the son, the the Jesus, the lost, the you know, separation. Um, I, I when I saw that woman's face in Covadis, uh, you know, uh, Aida, I was just like, oh god, mama, mama, rip my heart out, rip my heart out. <laughs> right. And so when I, when I hear you talking about the other film, I was like, oh yeah, that would just be. And so these women are choosing this, you know, and as opposed to the Hurt Locker, you know, it's like, okay, all right. Let's look at some more. I mean, let's look at some, some comparisons and see what's, you know, what's going on. What does that mean? Does it mean? I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually trying to get uh, the the president of SAG-AFTRA, who's a woman, uh, yeah. Gabriel Cateras, uh, mm -hmm. on, on this show uh, in oh, the not yeah. too distant future. We could talk to her about that. But I checked on this recently, and Evan, you may have it off the top of your head, but even with all of this Me Too and all of this pushing for the last few years, the number of women directors, it's up. But it's still way, way low. And also your question, which I think is really even more the point is, even if there are more women directors, I don't think they're all getting to choose projects like what we're talking about here. I think they have to, you know, if, if they get in for a variety of reasons, commercial and having to prove themselves and so forth, they're probably having to take on projects like The Hurt Locker, things that are going to be money makers as opposed to, you know, the films that we've been talking about, these are not big box office films. Right, these are these are films mm -hmm. that that people want to make because they have stories that they want to tell. But you know, my darling supermarket, you know, which I I like that I would love every local 400 member to see that movie, right? I mean, I would love every union mm -hmm. member to see that movie because right? I mean, but how? I mean, there's so many reasons why that's problematic, right? I mean, starting with the fact, yeah. I mean, I will just tell you, you know, it's been amazing. My my dad shows films like this up in Rochester, New York. You know, and we'll get 300 people, uh, and, you know, but every time we do a foreign language film in D.C., which you would think, you know, is a more cosmopolitan, it's full of people from other countries. It is a lift. It is a lift uh, to mm -hmm. get folks out unless you tap into the Romanian audience or the French audience or the people. Anyway, that's a whole other 
a whole other one, piece. Yeah, one comment, uh, Elise, I, a good friend of mine, she wrote her dissertation on three female filmmakers uh, coming from Iran, Pakistan, and uh, India, I believe. And just going through um, Bakhtin time was kind of a, the other layer on this dissertation. And what the females chose to look at and how they expressed concepts through the film. And, and I, I totally agree that, you know, we're, we're all people when it comes down to it, but then at the same time, women bring a much different perspective than men. And I, I think that, that, yeah, that's something that I, I'd love to see what you're gonna uncover when you pursue, uh, pursue that, so. When, I, when you and I work together on this. <laughs> I, was, I was also thinking about, what was the film, um, it was about the Justice for Janitors campaign. Oh, uh, Red and Roses. Red and Roses, mm -hmm. right, right, right. Ken, Ken, Ken Loach. Right, and, and, and again, I mean, he threw in this love story, right, between the organizers and one of the workers. And I really felt it was gratuitous. I mean, I was, and, and, and then we just observed in these films, there's no love story going on here. There's no rockets going off. There's no car crashes. There's no car chases, right? Just the, the, the story, the storytelling of, of, of you know, someone's life in, in, in real time. I think that it, it's that humanity point, which really is the point here, that, that there are so many more aspects to each of our lives than our love life. Um, there is so much more that we can relate to in other people's lives than who they're, who they're with. Um, it's much more about, it, it's much more interesting, at least to me, to know how you engage with the world. What, how does what's going on in the world affect you? I wanna hear about this. I wanna know about, um, you know, about, about what, is, what is life like for you? Not just what is your love life like? But I, I think though, and we're all consumers of culture, right? And we all know, you know, I love mysteries. I, I love detective stories, right? And I was joking, I was talking to Peter about, you know, at, 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 some, at some point, you know, we're, we're going to have a discussion on this show about, you know, the labor aspects for Foyle's War, which I watched uh, over the pandemic. Uh -huh. um, but, but, you know, in Foyle's War, one of the things, this is an example, one of the things that you know in every show, you know, and it may be 10 minutes in, somebody is going to die. Usually some couple of somebodies are going to die. That's just mm -hmm. a given because that is that show somebody's going to die because there has to be a death, a murder, you know, even yeah, if it doesn't, murder you know, it's, it's a murder mystery. So somebody's going to die. And so you have these tropes and, you know, at least you in theater, you know, I mean, you know, and you have done, I mean, remind me, what's the story of one of your, of one of your uh, labor operas, right? Love, love, songs. love songs. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, the value of tropes, right? I mean, you know, these, yeah. these are, you know, a lot of Shakespeare is about love stories. So it's not, there's anything intrinsically wrong with love stories, but you know, if you're gonna make a film about supermarkets and you're not gonna have a romance, what you're asking people to do is, you know, to pay more attention because we're not gonna give you an easy hook, you know, will the baker and the, you know, and his colleague get together, won't they? You know, I mean, well, you know, we're not, you know, will the guy have a breakdown? Won't he have a break? Like in a drama, you, you know, you would have, you would have give a little tease a little bit at the beginning, you know, and then, you know, I mean, there, again, mm -hmm. you know, so there are reasons for these tropes, but I think one of the things 
all the films that we're talking about, you, you got to work harder, right? As a viewer. And, and what do we know about viewers? You know? <laughs> we don't. But I think that, that that is the, that's the quality that we're seeing in some of these directors though, mm. is making it less hard work for us to do something different, to see something differently. Uh, that's certainly, I think, is the achievement of My Darling Supermarket. Uh, it's just that who would have thought? I mean, we've all said that. Who would have thought that a documentary about a supermarket was going to be as moving and as powerful as that film is? That's because of the superb work that that director did and that the camera operators. I mean, it, it, a lot of stuff, the, the camera guy was just obviously or person, probably quite likely a woman, actually, was out there shooting ceilings and floors and these those wonderful tracking shots across all of the all of the things all the stuff that is in that supermarket and all of its color and glory and at the beginning we saw the shelves empty nothing in them remember that pure white uh -huh. and then they start putting the things on and then all through it we see people rearranging the stuff on the shelves, making making the presentation even better. And I mean, there was just so many things that made you stop and think about what what you're, what it is that you're actually encountering when you go to the supermarket. That, I'm glad you reminded me of that. That there's a, one of my favorite scenes is that scene, it's fairly early when the guy is working on the shelf, right? And again, as somebody who, who watches a lot of movies and sort of and, and, and at least because you've had to think about that there's this there's this rhythm in a scene right so in mm -hmm. a normal one of those scenes that would just be a setup for something to happen something's going to happen that scene i don't know how long it goes on it feels like a couple of minutes all the dude does is <laughs> is adjust you know these little packets and then you know and it goes on and you're thinking okay where's the payoff what's going to happen here and then you realize Ain't no payoff, you know. Or this is the payoff this because is this is what he is sent out there to do. <laughs> yeah, I love that bit. I am curious though on the effect of all these box office, you know, big films are almost all superhero action. It's almost like the the child, little boy, you know, big explosions. The hero comes in. And, and solves everything at the end. And there's always this happy ending. And it, it's, it's not, re it's so far from reality. And it, it, in some ways it is an extension of the escape, escapism that so many people are seeking in life because life is becoming so unbearable for so many people and, and having a superhero. And a lot of the people I'm hanging out with are a decade younger than me. And they're all into comic books and anime. And they're into a lot of these you know, Marvel movies, which I personally, you know, find very uninspiring and um, not, I mean, they may be enter, un, entertaining, but I'd rather spend my time doing other things. But th that that question of how is that, where's the labor in that, Chris? <laughs> no, no, I, th I think that's, you know, it's sort of the antithesis, if you will, of what we're talking about, right? And, and, what, and what I think I worry about is, there's a lot of talk about the effect, you know, and if people want to blame, you know, like whether it's comic books or, you know, whatever, that, that it causes things. I don't know that that's the case, but it does definitely seem, you know, like it desensitizes people. And I know I read this lot of stuff about how, you know, the army had this trouble getting people to kill people because people basically don't want to kill people. It's really hard for people to kill people. 
And the way that they do it is by essentially getting, getting you to practice killing people and it gets easier and easier. And I, I do worry, you know, that the effect of seeing lots of big, big, boomy movies, I, I think about taking somebody who's used to watching a movie like that and asking him to watch My Darling Supermarket. I think five minutes, you know, they're, I think they'll be done after five minutes. They're like, you know, what's, what's, <laughs> when, when's the supermarket going to get blown up? You know? mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, if you think about, and this would be a whole other show, but if you think about how all of us learn to watch movies, the, the, the four of us, right? Uh, mm. I think about this, like this week, I watched more foreign movies this week than I've watched in the last couple of months, right? I mean, because they're work, they're work. I mean, you know, I like watching Foyle's War. There's a murder, there's a meal. And at the end of the show, it's resolved, right? At the end of every movie I saw this week, ain't not, no shit was resolved. Yeah. No shit was resolved. And I had to work really, really hard. One movie I had to watch over two nights, you know? So, you know, that's asking a lot of folks. This is a language that we have had to learn as pretty dedicated movie watchers, right? But if you grow up on a, on a, on a diet of uh, the kind of movies that Evan's talking about, you know, it'd be interesting, Evan. We should, Which, we should- which I did. I mean, I did grow up watching Rambo and Commando and you know, all the 80s movies with Sylvester Sloan and Arnold Schwarzenegger and my dad liked Charlie Bronson and, you know, these. And you've come a long way, baby. Yeah, well, I, know. I, I think there's an interesting thing Ann going on here. I'm going to date myself because I grew up watching World War II movies because that was, I, I was born in the 40s myself. And, and a lot of that carried into my generation's war. That was what the kids who went to Vietnam had been exposed to. That's what we had seen. And, um, you know, it didn't take me but about three days in boot camp to understand that that was a big lie. <laughs> and here I was committed to the Navy for four years. But, uh, but I think that that's, that that's something that there's, we could do an entire history on what the people who went off to fight each war had been acculturated too before they went off to fight it. Mm-hmm. That'd be a really interesting study. We could do that. We'll do that. All right. Uh, I prom- Go ahead, Elise. You get the last word, girl. No, no, because my mother, my my mother never watched television. Wow. She didn't watch soap operas or anything, and and she would come in sometimes and turn off that TV. I don't care. If Jesus is on there. <laughs> and, and one, I I don't know what movie it was, but it was a World War II movie, and my mother said. They're getting ready to start another war. Oh wow! Like, huh? And she said, mm-hmm. "That's what they do when they're going to start a war. They start showing war movies." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your mama was a wise woman. A wise yeah, she woman. Was. Wish I'd heard been told that a little bit myself. Eighth grade education, she knew. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, what a pleasure! Thank you, guys. This was a wonderful, and, and as, as always, Elise, it went in all kinds of, you know, unanticipated uh, directions. So uh, keep watching movies, guys. We're going to have you back on. Evan, I'm thinking we should have some of your your, your younger folks on. I'd love to see what, uh, yeah. get them watching some movies. As Not well. just us geezers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Friday. everybody. Get the movies. Get the movies. <laughs> <laughs>